think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, friends. My name is Michael Patton, and I'm joined by Tim Kimberly, my friend and co-worker here at the Credo House. We are coming to you live from the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, wish you guys were here. Credo House is a great place to be. It's a blast to come here and drink some uh, Calvin Cappuccinos and talk theology. And I've got my uh, Luther t-shirt on. Yeah, I saw you were sporting that today. I like it. Yeah, we're very exclusive here with our Luther t-shirts. Uh, kind of controversial saying on the back. You'll have to get a t-shirt to be able to figure out what it says, and then you'll have to call up here to find out the meaning. But uh, Yeah, we'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, you're you, you're drinking from your Credo House coffee cup, so we're, we're festive here in the studio today. We are sporting everything. We are. Yeah. Well, we're we're glad you joined us, friends, and uh, we have a, a good session here today, continuing on our uh, discussion about uh, about uh, women in ministry, mm-hmm. um, men's and women's issues, the theology of men and women, all kinds of things. What we've been calling this, but it kind of hovers around this idea that. Uh, that uh, are, are there differences between men and women that mm-hmm. are theological differences that are things that God wants us to recognize and to um, implement within the various society, home, church, those sort of things. So that's what we've been discussing. Which, which is so important because we're not just talking about a specific women in ministry type issue really even though that's what we're calling this this uh, podcast in this series we're we're really as you said we are zooming way out and and really looking at it at a high level of men and women differences in the sexes as god created this and uh, which is you could say well women in ministry that just pertains to my church and mm-hmm. what goes on in mm-hmm. my church where what we're talking about it affects every bit of us every day of who am I as a man, uh, who is my wife as a woman, and how do we relate to each other and, and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is theology unplugged, and we try to get unplugged with things. I mean, whenever we say unplugged, the way I like to define unplugged is that not that we're trying to get, uh, as I call myself sometimes, as being an off-road evangelical, not being off the road all the time for sake of being off the road, but just trying yeah. to f- talk frankly about these things and and uh, try to give our audience an understanding of where the issues are, what the issues are, and mm-hmm. uh, how to think through these issues in a in a way that has great integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got classes coming up, Tim, soon. Not yes. real soon, but at least we've announced it so far. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're really excited about the the one that is coming up the quickest is on July 31st. And that is our theological boot camp, which is brand new to our ministry. And what we're doing, uh, the theology program is our flagship. Uh, program that we have. It's a 60-week program that is in chunks of 10 weeks per course or per class. Uh, the theological boot camp is, as you may imagine, just a one-day event. 
and it is intensive theological training. Uh, we have c- communicated it to several churches as, as being ideal for leaders as pastors or elders or deacons or, or small group leaders, Sunday school leaders, um, but it, it's geared towards anybody, anyone who wants to have uh, a more foundation in, in their belief, really. We're going to cover the the hallmark issues, really, of of Christianity, of the Trinity and Christ and, and several other subjects in, in one day. And so Theological Boot Camp, the, ne- the next one that we're doing is the theology program. Uh, in the fall, starting the second week of September, we're offering all six classes. And I believe that's the first time we've ever done that, is to offer all six classes at the same time. And so uh, so we're really excited about that. It's going to be a great time. And you're uh, teaching five of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. The, the well, tell, for, us, the about the format. Format. tell yeah, us about the format. Tell us about the format. The format is going to be wonderful. What we're going to do is we're going to have have the DVDs of of Michael and Rome do much of the teaching. And so, what we're going to do is, if you are enrolled in our classes, you will on your own time, whenever it's convenient for you. If it's when you're on run on the treadmill in the morning or taking a lunch break on a Tuesday or whenever it may be, you're going to go through the teaching time. So that what that does is it frees it up, frees us up. So when we come together. We'll all already have that foundation of that teaching time, and then we'll spend a lot of time just making sure that that we are truly not just being taught, but but that it's being caught as well, and that's really being cemented in people's minds and uh, and offering time of questions and stuff like that. And so, I mean, unlike most curriculum that you can buy, what's so exciting here is that that not only will you go through it, but then you have an opportunity every week to interact with with Michael and myself and really make sure that in community together that we're really making sure that we're getting it and so we'll do that live here in the credo house but then also online and we're uh, rolling out a, a new online environment that i think is going to be a really exciting place where people can learn and um, and it'll be really rich media and things like that now in addition to that what we're also doing wait yeah, before you ahead. move on to that yeah, oh, yeah. You, you may be you may be getting to this but we're going to have a special scholar that's exactly what I was getting okay. to. So we are we are reading each other's minds, Good. which is a, which is great. So for each class, so introduction to theology, bibliology, hermeneutics, uh, all down the line, what we're going to do is we're linking up with with key scholars in each one of those fields. And what we're going to do is, as you are taking the theology program, you will know at least once during that ten week period, you're going to have the opportunity to connect with a scholar who is a leader in that field. And so so. What'll be so great is that you'll be able to. Do actually, we have any scholars lined up, or are we just using that as a surprise? Well, it's kind of it's both and. So we we have our list of of friends of the ministry that we're contacting and that we're who have who well, kind of like a converse with, with scholars, but it's just yeah. for the student type thing. Yeah. So it'll basically, be like let's say you're taking bibliology, hermeneutics, and uh, some you know we have connections. I won't name their name of some uh, great biblical textual critics and <laughs> different people like mm-hmm. that that. Uh, that then can we call you? I mean, weeks, can you call yourself? No, no, no I'm not. No, not these permissible. are people with PhDs okay. written well and all that <laughs> stuff. And so, uh, but students will be able to connect with that. So, so which is great. You'll be able to to have the teaching time, have the interaction, discussing it with Michael, myself, and others. But then also that third step closer of we're going to make the scholars accessible as well, not mm. just theology, but the scholars accessible yeah. as well in every class. Good. So, uh, so we have boot camp. 
the theology program. And then our third class, which is brand new as well, is the discipleship program. And we've been talking about that for a while. We have, yeah. And if you're news on our newsletter list, you've gotten at least two email newsletters regarding the discipleship program. And what that is is we have... Uh, but all of these really come together, work to each other, so none of them compete with each other. And so boot camp is one day. The discipleship program is really going to be the front door that a lot of people walk through to get to the theology program. Yeah. And what that will be is it's just 10 weeks and five weeks focus on orthodoxy and five weeks focus on orthopraxy. And we know that those terms sometimes have been uh, uh, have been unpopular terms or popular terms and things like that. But really what we're right getting to... orthodoxy, right teaching, orthopraxy, right... Action. Okay. Yeah, right action. So really with, with five weeks of making sure that our beliefs are orthodox, our beliefs are correct of what God has revealed to us of himself, and that's, that's not just us who are saying... You know, hey, we know what is right, but what we are doing is we are using historical, uh, a lot of historical background and basically saying this is what historically for the life of the church have been the huge issues that we must have as a foundation to our faith. And then the next five weeks is now with that foundation, how do we now live? Parents, how do we go parents from there? or kiddos? So we are starting the second week of September on Wednesday nights, perfect for small groups who are already meeting together for parents, for adults. Uh, you can bring your, your students as well. But we're specifically during the week, and we'll be announcing this next week of the time, we're going to have a students-only version of the discipleship program. So this we're is kind of like that. our children's theology program. Exactly. We're changing around a little bit and calling it the discipleship program. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to have a discipleship program standard, and then a discipleship program for students, and a discipleship program for kids. Okay, very good. So, yeah. Good. So well, we'd love for you to uh, to connect with all those. You can find out all about it through uh, our newsletters and then also through our website. Yeah, go to the website, reclaimingthemind.org. Uh, you can find out information there or go to our store. You can enroll there, uh, yep. store.reclaimingthemind.org. Yep. Uh, one more quick thing before we get to our subject. Um, in to, our next series, after we complete this series, Sam should be here, Sam Storm. So there'll be three of us. We're not sure what we're going to be talking about. I'll have to discuss that with Sam beforehand. We might just wait till he gets here to figure it out, kind of like I do with you sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can talk about Lost yeah. since it'll well, be over and we can reflect on the we theology can, we can do of a Lost. Long time on Lost. That would be great. Yeah, that would be good. Um, uh, he'd probably like to come in and join us on this series as well. I'm sure, but yeah. not going to. Um, we, last week we ended up talking about folks. We were, we were discussing egalitarianism and complementarianism. Once again, briefly, this has to do with the issues of men and women, the theology of men and women. Egalitarians are those who believe that men and women are equal both in their essence and in their roles. Mm. In other words, there is no role distinction. You are a pastor if you're gifted of a, as a pastor, not whether you're a man or a woman. makes no difference. You are uh, a leader if you're gifted as a leader. You lead over men and women if you're gifted in that area. Egalitarians, meaning equal, mean means that they are equal. The complementarian viewpoint, on the other hand, holds to equal in essence, distinct in role. So therefore, the complementarians believe that God has created each sex with certain characteristics and certain responsibilities that the other sex does not have. Mm. 
and we should uh, celebrate that and promote it. Okay. Last week we were talking about the the egalitarians and their um, the defense of egalitarianism, mm-hmm. and we talked. You know, the the difficult thing is whenever you come to scripture, come into certain portions of scripture. I don't think anybody would deny that scripture seems to suggest, as you're reading through it, a complementarian viewpoint. It seems to suggest that uh, Paul in the New Testament, even in lots in the Old Testament, but we're staying with the New Testament here for a little bit, that Paul has instructions that are specific for men and specific for women. Uh, in one passage, Paul tells women that he, or tells Timothy that he does not allow a woman to teach nor to exercise authority over a man. And so we discussed that a little bit. And we, we try to figure out how we, uh, if, you're a com- if you're an egalitarian who believes that there are no role distinctions, how do you work within the scriptures? How do you justify a position if the scriptures seem to be so militantly against your position? And what I'm trying to do is to get help people to understand a little bit, and we'll spend the rest of the time helping people understand the egalitarian position, which I'm not an egalitarian. You're not an egalitarian, but I do want people to understand the egalitarian position because there's a lot of really good egalitarians out there. Well, and that's just, I mean, that's what we teach here at the Credo House and Reclaim the Mind as well is that we don't want you to just dogmatically believe without knowing why other people believe things as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely want to make sure that we understand the other side, a belief that we might not hold right now, but we want to be able to make sure we understand mm-hmm. before we move forward from yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a woman just the other day who we this issue got brought up and she said, well, you know, I don't really understand all the, the arguments on one side or another. All I know is whenever I sit down in a congregation, I don't feel comfortable whenever a woman's there. Therefore, I'm a complementarian. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, well, that's not really a good reason to be. You know, yeah. you don't feel comfortable because that's the way you've grown up. That's the way you are. That's the way the society has created you. But we need to change accordingly if the scriptures teach yeah. something different. Yeah. Uh, one, the passage in sec, or in 1st Timothy chapter 2 says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not allow a woman or do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and holiness and love with self-control. That's one of the key passages that we look at. And we say, hmm, how can you be a egalitarian after something like that? Last week we brought up and we said this. We said we've got to deal with the cultural issue here because you might read through the Bible, as we said, and look to slavery and say, well, slavery's there and Slavery is, seems to be permitted in the New Testament. You know, slaves obey your masters as is right with the Lord. Masters treat your slaves with respect if, in, in Ephesians. Uh, same passage that tells wives to submit to husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, is that about slavery? And so we look at that and we say, well, you know, we, we don't believe in slavery any longer. Therefore, there are certain things in the Bible that the Bible allowed or permitted that aren't necessarily the ideal Mm. of the principles of Scripture. 
And so whenever it comes to this issue, whenever we're talking about women in ministry, the argument would go like this, that God permitted a patriarchal, male-dominated society, even though that's not ideal. He permitted a slave-driven society, even though that's not ideal. We do well not to confuse God's ideals with his permissions. Therefore, the argument could be made, and is made very often, that slavery itself, I mean, that uh, that women being in submission to their husbands or in the church setting or a patriarchal society is not ideal, and we need to move beyond that. In Christ, there is no longer men nor women. That's the basic and strongest argument, I think, that is made from the... Uh, Compliment or the egalitarian position. We've already it's, covered that last yeah, week. I that's know. Galatians three twenty eight. Just in case, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's an equality there. There's an egalitarian uh, idea that is set mm. up there. Mm. So from the egalitarian position, it's not necessarily a slam dunk, but at the same time, it is something that we said they would say, "Hey, listen." You know, I mean, ours isn't a slam dunk any more than in the Civil War. Slavery, pro-slavery, or anti-slavery was a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. We need to look towards the principles of Scripture and try to find out what it is, broadly speaking, that they seem to be suggesting. Therefore, they would argue that uh, there is no distinctions that are to be made between male and female in their roles. Uh, of course, there's distinctions other places, you know. Nobody's going to argue about reproductive distinctions. Mm -hmm. But in their roles, whatever you're qualified to do, whatever God has gifted you to do, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one of the things that somebody may bring up and has been brought up very often is the idea of homosexuals. Mm -hmm. You know, this the, once you start talking about cultural things, you know, Tim, people will uh, say, well, that's just cultural. You know, they only did that in the... Old Testament, and so therefore we don't have to do that anymore. They only did that at that time because therefore we're not supposed to do that anymore. Uh, we could bring up very easy things like greet each other with a holy kiss or something mm. like that. You know, we didn't kiss each other when we came in. No, and I never will. <laughs> and so, and so we understand there's cultural distinctions that are made there. But they would also make the argument that there are certain things that are permitted. Let, let, let me bring to you a homosexual argument that would come in here at this point. They would say, yeah, I, I agree with the egalitarians. There are certain things in the scripture that the scripture seems to prohibit and be against, but it's more like the culture was against it, and the scriptures were condescending to the culture at the time, right? Slavery. Okay, can you, what, what do you mean by that? Slavery. I mean, slavery is, is permitted. And the culture permitted it, therefore the scripture does not seem to come down too hard on it and abolish okay. it. Okay. So they would say, whenever it talks about the prohibition against slave or homosexuals, we say the same thing. This was only for a certain period of time. It was only during this time. Whenever Paul wrote Romans, you know, mm -hmm. Romans chapter one, um, that was at a time whenever uh, uh, homosexuality in that certain environment that he was writing to his religious environment was not accepted therefore he wrote according to his cultural norms old testament the same thing so the idea is that that the society didn't so the idea is that the society didn't accept it but god did 
it, 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 opens, it opens the door say, to that, that, that God isn't necessarily saying for all time this is wrong. What, what's being communicated by Paul is that this is wrong in that in cultural that setting. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind of like it says in the Old Testament, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. You yeah. know, I've never done that, never been tempted to, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think I ever will, but... It's kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things about women in their menstrual cycle that don't really apply so much to today. Mm-hmm. And so we look at those things and we say, well, you know, I mean, well, we can get rid of those and we can take these. Mm-hmm. And the homosexual uh, people will come in and say, well, that's the same thing with homosexuality. Mm-hmm. It was prohibited. It was part of the law. It was part of the culture of the time, the religious culture, the religious establishment. But it doesn't necessarily represent God's ideal. God's ideal deal is for whoever loves each other mm. to be able to be together. Mm. And so they would kind of use the same argument. And this is, uh, this is where I think that the egalitarians come in and say, well, wait a minute, you're misunderstanding what we're saying. And there's a book out there, and I, I, I don't suggest that you Google it or anything, <laughs> but it's called Women, Slaves, and Homosexuals. Mm. Just go to Amazon, straight to Amazon, and look for it. It's by uh, Bob Webb. And in that book, he distinguishes between the the redeeming of women in, from the Old Testament to the New Testament and that of homosexuality and slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, homosexual or slavery and women are indeed being redeemed. Now, there's there's certain things that I'm going to draw a little picture here for you, Tim. Okay. okay? And I'm going to put on this a S for slaves, W for women, and H for homosexuals. Then I'm going to draw a line for each one across the page, and I'm going to put Old Testament on each one, Old Testament. And then I'm going to put New Testament. And what we're trying to do is to represent that in the Old Testament, let's take slavery, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament... There was the culture's way of handling slavery, right? Okay. There was the culture. Okay, so you go to the Old Testament and you look at uh, the the Canaanites and the Egyptians and, mm-hmm. and you look at their attitude towards slavery. And you ask the question, was their attitude towards, towards slavery permissive or was it something that they did not encourage? Okay. And obviously it was something that they permitted, Right. The Old Testament comes in and begins to take that culture, the way that the culture treated slaves, right, and begins to give slaves rights, begins to redeem slavery itself in a sense. Beforehand, slaves didn't have any rights. And the culture around them, surrounding the Israelite community, they had no rights at all. Mm. But in the Old Testament law, now all of a sudden, if you knock out a tooth of a slave, you got to set them free. Mm. And, and in the culture, that would be crazy. Mm. You're crazy. I can do anything I want to a slave. Yeah. I can kill them if I want. I can bury them alive. doesn't mm. matter. Mm. I can torture them. I can rape them. I can do whatever. Mm. But... What the Old Testament does is it comes in and takes the current environment of slavery and begins to redeem it okay. in a positive direction. And so I'm going to draw an arrow towards the New Testament and put a P for positive. It is going in a positive direction towards the New Testament. Slavery is being redeemed. They are getting better and better. In the New Testament, what do we have? Do we have a more of a redemption or less of a redemption? 
It seems to be from the passages that we look at, whenever it talks about masters, how to treat their slaves, mm-hmm. and then it talks about the whole book of Philemon, you yeah. know, is about releasing the slave mm-hmm. on my account. We have a continued idea of redemption. Mm-hmm. In Christian ethics, we have this idea of redemption of slavery. And so, therefore, whenever we talk about slavery, we are simply following in the pattern that the Bible has set already. It redeems it out of culture, always has. That pattern has been set, established, and it continues. And thankfully, today, at least here, we don't have to worry about slavery. Mm-hmm. And that's not an issue since the Civil War. Now, let's take women. Or actually, let's go to homosexuals next, okay? Are you following me? Yeah, I'm You look tracking. confused. Do I? Yeah, if you're I, confused, you know how much more confused the audience is. I think that I'm just uh, in sorrow of you, how bad you are at drawing. Well, this but, is, uh, those are just lines. Well, they're it's poor lines, really. I mean, I'm glad that this they're is... They're crooked, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that this is audio and not uh, not video. <laughs> I'm going to take this, I'm going to tear this off, and I'm going to scan it, and I'm going to put it up on the blog when we post okay. this. But okay. the yeah the content I mean that definitely uh, yeah I'm tracking with you I'm tracking with you okay so, now now so hang with me folks hang, hang with me then folks Tim here's what we're gonna go do now we're gonna have to ask the same questions about homosexuality what was the culture's attitude towards homosexuality in the day when the law was given is it positive in the sense that they they um, uh, they allow it. I, I guess I used it differently beforehand. But is it something that was permitted or was it something that was looked down upon in the culture? And we would see in the culture of the day it was permitted. The culture permitted homosexuality. <laughs> I'm going to mess you up with all this. Uh, these, And uh, we see that through male prostitution and things like that. Uh, as as well as in uh, in different things like Sodom and Gomorrah and, and different aspects. Yes, yeah, so it wasn't aspect. looked down upon. It was something that was very permitted, something that was very socially uh, permitted. But then you ask the question, okay, what does the Bible do? Mm-hmm. What direction does the Bible go with that? Does it come in and does it... Does it continue to permit it? Does it continue to push it in the same direction as the culture? Does it go in the opposite direction? Is it redemptive towards homosexuality or is it condemning towards homosexuality? And it's very easy to see from the law the Israelites set themselves apart like they did with slavery in redeeming slavery, the redeeming slaves. Here they are not permitting homosexuality. That's it is true. something that uh, the, home, the Old Testament is against. And so you have a line that's going in a down direction, you know, showing that it is against it. I, if, if I could reverse this, I would go in just the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. But the Old Testament is against slavery. And so it goes countercultural here. And then whenever you continue on into the New Testament, you, seem this, you see the same pattern being taken. And so you do not have a redemption the same way you do with slavery. You have a confirmation, continued confirmation, that the Old Testament and that God's morals are against homosexuality. So there is no comparison because they go in complete opposite directions. One is being redeemed. One is being further condemned. One is accepted in the culture and asked uh, uh, in slavery, accepted in the culture, yet the Bible begins to redeem it out of it. One is accepted in the culture and the bible is completely against it Mm. you see yeah 
the the goal in both are, are to bring them to an end. Would you say to bring slave? I mean, the idea to bring both of them to an end. Sure, I, I would say homosexuality. that that homosexuality is not God's ideal. Slavery is not God's ideal. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the question of the hour because we're talking about women and ministry. We have to. We're already out of time. <laughs> <laughs> we took too long talking about the uh, the other stuff. Yeah. When, whenever it comes to women, there is not a parallel with that of homosexuals, but there is a parallel with that of slavery mm-hmm. because you have women in the culture of the day. Are they treated with dignity, with respect, or are they domineered? And they're domineered. In the culture of the day, it would Women, I'm sorry, you just, the culture of the Old Testament and, and the middle, ancient Middle East or the ancient Near East, you, you did not have much respect mm-hmm. at as, all. As much today is the same situation. Sure. And, and in the Bible, whenever the Bible comes in and begins to deal with women's issues, even in the Old Testament, what you have here is a redeeming, a redemption of women. You have now this really weird thing, which would have been weird in this day, not weird to us at all, but have been really weird in this day to where if you are to leave your wife, you have to give her a certificate of divorce. Mm-hmm. That makes her able to go find other other ways to support herself. Mm-hmm. But beforehand, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you could do anything you wanted with your wife. Uh, it was kind of almost like a slave. Like a slave, yeah. But then we begin in the Old Testament to have all of these rights given to wives and to women, all of this protection that is made for them. And so it's going in a direction that is positive for women. This one is negative for sla- or for homosexualities, but positive for women and begins to redeem women. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, you have the same type of thing. You have where women, once again, in the culture don't have a lot of rights, don't have a lot of dignity. But whenever it comes to, um, the, let's say, Jesus and his ministry, mm-hmm. he had women followers. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he talked to the woman at the well, which he wasn't supposed to, uh-huh. and the way that we're supposed to treat our wives and Ephesians and all sorts of things where women are lifted up and not put down. And, and Rob Webb would call these redemptive breakthroughs mm. uh, or breakouts. Uh, certain points or places in the Bible where all of a sudden, my goodness, it's a surprising because of what's being done, what's being said, one of the cultural norms are so far against it. Mm-hmm. Women at the well, having women followers, having women supporters, having women that, that are there at the cross, having women that are, that are the witnesses to his resurrection, the, the for, dignity. The first witnesses. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. dignity that begins to be restored to women shows the dignity that the New Testament is attempting to restore mm-hmm. to women, which we are assuming is God's original intent, mm-hmm. his original design. Paul, not only does he, uh, um, uh, you know, in Ephesians chapter 5, people get all bent out of shape because it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting with the Lord, right? Yeah, just keep reading and the wives will be happy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, that, that's just a little portion. And we yeah. have all kinds of things from this culture and this day that are instructions uh, to husbands or to wives. But we don't have any that are instructions to husbands. Mm-hmm. You don't give husbands instructions. They do what they want. Mm. doesn't matter. I mean, they, they, you don't have the right to give them instruction. But Paul is is crazy enough, is ready for such a breakout or a breakthrough or a redemption of women that he writes a lot longer about instructions for husbands than he does instructions for wives. Yeah. And so, so this would have been a breakout. This would have been a break, 
uh, a breakdown of their societal norms. And so, again, in the New Testament, you have that moving in a positive direction. Now, now you can see the, the similarity here between slaves and women. If our goal is ultimately to push this slavery in the direction to where slaves are free completely, mm-hmm. even, though New, even though the New Testament never does that, it's moving in that direction. Why not the same with women? That is the strongest and I think best argument of the egalitarians and where I caution everybody to make sure that you're not equating them with Mm -hmm. the homosexual type argument. It's a completely different type and it's a very biblical type argument. Even though I don't ultimately agree with the conclusions where it ends up, I do understand where they're coming from and it makes a lot of sense. So we'll respond to that next time. We'll respond to that next time, but uh, but the, the the people people out there that are egalitarians that do believe that there is an ultimate redemption for women can be very biblical with this, folks. Even though there seems to be very clear portions of scripture that uh, militate against it or seem to militate against it, mm-hmm. e- even though I believe that there are clear portions of scripture, there are things out there that uh, make their argument much more substantial than we often yeah. like to think. Yeah. Okay, folks, well, thank you for joining us this half hour for Theology Unplugged. Be sure to join us next week as we'll continue on our series of women in ministry, and we'll talk about and defend uh, the uh, complementarian position. Now, we're being brief on all of these things, so don't expect, you know, ten sessions on defense of each one. And we just did one session here of two sessions of understanding complementarian or egalitarianism and defending it. Mm-hmm. I the, gave what the, I believe is the best argument. And the blog is a good place for additional in-depth reading on that, a lot of things that you've written about that. Yeah, we've got a full section on there. I think it's, uh, God, what do we call it, women's issues or gender issues. Mm-hmm. Go to the blog, click on gender issues. Don't expect me to uh, respond to any of those things because those are a little bit too old and I don't have time to respond to a lot of things on the blog, but sometimes I do. Yeah. Sometimes I do. Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.